RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by Eagle Moss, Hero Collector, and the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 plus the USS Defiant for free when you sign up today at herocollector.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 359, Broken Link. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we use every bit of our concentration to keep our composure in order to examine every episode of Star Trek, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. This week, Odo goes back home. Not under the best of circumstances. It's Broken Link. And I can't believe it. We've made it to the end of Season 4 of Deep Space Nine. Applause, 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 applause. applause. Way to go uh, all around. Yes, we made it. Oh, uh, by the way, quick programming note for everyone in the audience. Hopefully you already had today's episode in your queue. Because let me tell you uh, from experience, it's pointless to search the internet for the phrase broken link. Just, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. So instead of doing that, instead of looking for the phrase broken link, make sure that you tune all of your subspace frequencies to how you can find us. Mission Log relies on your participation, so that's why we want to hear from you. Help us spread the word by giving us a like or a share on Facebook or Twitter, where you can find us at Mission Log Pod. Tell others about us there, and if you're inclined to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful, and we'll share those in a future supplemental. You can reach us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by calling 323 323- Five two two five six four one. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Now, John, we'll get to your trivia in a moment. But first, I wanted to let all of our listeners know about how much we love the official Star Trek starships from the collection from Eagle Mosque Hero Collector. Now, I have been a long-time fan and a long-time customer of the Eagle Moss products. It started all the way back when they originally launched with the Enterprise D, and I fell in love with their quality. I fell in love with their accuracy. I fell in love with their customer service. All of these ships are officially authorized by CBS Studios. The official Star Trek Starships collection, which is what I have been collecting for some time now, is available only from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. Now, this is the ultimate collection, the ultimate collection of the vessels, the starships that you see across all of the series of the Star Trek universe from the original series, the next generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Discovery, all the way to the movies, and even the Star Trek online ships. Norman, you you said the keyword, which is love. (laughs) I love the Eagle Moss collection. I love that they are a part of Mission Log and we get to talk about them. And there is a lot to love. Each model, as you well know, as a collector, they are high quality. They're made of die cast metal and high quality ABS materials. 
they are hand painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production. And then if they have photos or original studio models, those are used as reference as well. Each ship comes with a display base, plus a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, the original design sketches, uh, breakdown of the technology. You get a whole history of the ship, and those are done by those experts at Eagle Moss Hero Collector. So here is what is amazing. They make it so easy. You can subscribe to the collection today and get your first ship, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, for only $4.95 with free shipping. But wait, there's more. I love being able to say that. Use the code MISSION at checkout, and you'll also get the USS Defiant, uh, that tough little ship, the NX-74205 from DS9, for free. Yes, that is a free bonus for you, just as a Mission Log listener, also that is with free shipping. But wait, John, there's more, 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 more. more. <laughs> so after you start your subscription, then you'll get two new ships delivered directly to your door every month. The subscription is a two-ship collection to your door every month. That includes the ships and the magazines. And there are over already 180 ships. If you want to collect them all, you're f- being feel free to do so because I would like to. But... As a subscriber, you're also entitled to free gifts worth over $90, including the Enterprise Dedication Plaque, the Borg Cube, and if you need to cancel your subscription, you can do so at any time. So you can find all the details on how to start your collection and how to get your custom version of your credenza collection, very much like Admiral Marcus did in Star Trek Into Darkness. (laughs) You can find all those details at herocollector.com slash missionlog. And if you want to purchase your favorite ships individually instead of the subscription, you can do so for a few dollars more, either online at shop.eaglemoss.com, or you can visit and patronize your local comic book shop. And look, don't forget, the Enterprise D is only four ninety five plus the USS Defiant is free. Free, free. Again, it's free when you sign up today at herocollector.com slash mission log and use the code mission. And, uh, oh, excuse me. Now, oh, oh, you okay? Okay. And now for this week's trivia, here's John Champion. Ooh, boy, you, you should see somebody about that. Thank you, Norman. Today's story, Broken Link. Well, the story credit is by George Brozak, and we haven't mentioned George before, though he did contribute to the story for Birthright Part 1 in Next Gen 6th Season. He was not credited for that one, but he is here. And in fact, he wrote the first draft of the script as well. George has one more Trek credit, an episode of Voyager that we'll eventually discuss, and that is where his TV writing credits end. George was a freelancer, and it's interesting that in his regular professional life, he holds a doctorate of education in music education. He is an expert in the area of marching bands and is, as of this recording, at Southern Illinois University's School of Music. So the script and the writing credit goes to Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. These two get the final teleplay and writing credit. As always, uh, there are contributions, though, from the whole staff. Now, we have a reveal here at the very end about Gowron, and that is one of those story elements that have been floating around for a while. In fact, 
If you remember a few episodes ago in To the Death, we talked about how the staff were looking for an excuse for the DS9 crew to team up with the Jem'Hadar on a mission. They settled on the plot device about the gateway left behind by the Iconians, but at the time, they also considered revealing something about Gowron that would compel the two opposing sides to work together. Today's episode was directed by Les Landau, well-known to us and all Trek watchers. The most recent of Les's episodes that we discussed was Accession. Callback! To the end of last season, the finale of season three was The Adversary, which you might remember featured a changeling who was making his way around the Defiant, hiding himself by assuming the form of different crew members. At the end, in order to save the Defiant and himself, Odo kills that changeling. Makeup, let's talk about makeup. Well, this is one of the most extensive effects in the show. We've got Odo in multiple stages of losing his cohesion. Already a challenge when you're shooting a script out of order. We've talked about Michael Westmore before, but we haven't yet mentioned someone else on the makeup staff, Dean Jones, who had been working on Trek since TNG. By the time of DS9, Dean was assigned specifically to be René Aubergenois's personal makeup artist. Here, Dean had his work cut out for him. They mapped out exactly what stage of Odo's melting would occur when. Then they took his usual face appliance and added an extra layer of foam latex to look like it was losing its shape. Then, just before cameras would roll, they would apply a nice thick layer of a runny goo. It was not a pleasant experience for anyone involved, but it did get the desired effect. Let's talk about guest stars. We have returning guest stars to point out. Really nice to see Leslie Beavis back as the Boslik freighter captain Rionage. We first saw her at the start of season two of DS9 in Homecoming. The female changeling is once again played by Salome Jens. This is her fourth appearance after being introduced at the end of season three in The Search Part One. We have glimpses of Gowron, of course, played here by Robert O'Reilly. Now, new to the show is Andrew Hawks, who plays the Jem'Hadar Amatigan there alongside the female changeling. This is his only Trek appearance. Finally, an attempt here to give Odo a romantic interest in the form of a Bajoran woman, Chalan Arroya. She is played by Jill Jacobson, an actor who we've seen before on Star Trek. You'll have to think back to season two of Next Gen in the episode The Royale, that weird Twilight Zone-style episode set in a film noir casino hotel. Jill was one of the patrons, Vanessa. Outside of Trek, Jill is best known for a long recurring role on Falcon Crest, and she has many film and TV guest roles. In 2014, she wrote, produced, and starred in the short film Mike Whore about a stand-up comedian. I could tell you that it's time to get all the info on Broken Link, or I could tell you it's time to get the 411 on the 404. Prologue. As Odo arrives at Garrick's tailor shop, he brusquely questions Garrick about the nature of the emergency. To Odo's dismay, Garrick introduces him to the lovely Chalan Arroya, the Bajoran owner of the recently opened Celestial Cafe, who has taken an extreme liking to the constable. 
Odo verbally stumbles over Shallan's very forward invitation to dinner, to which Garrick points out the crime being committed in his shop, Odo letting her leave without making future plans. Odo leaves with a quip regarding his disdain for humanoid mating rituals and is suddenly racked with pain as his body shimmers and falls to the floor. Act 1. Dr. Bashir has stabilized Odo for the time being and has informed the constable that his mass and density are in a state of flux due to a variety of reasons, from changeling puberty to menopause. Of course, he would have to remain in sickbay so that Bashir can run more tests. Meanwhile, in the wardroom, Sisko, Kira, Dax, and Worf watch a transmission that was received by Starfleet Command three days ago. It is Galron, High Chancellor of the Klingon Empire, who bluntly and clearly refuses to return any captured Cardassian territories and demands that the Federation immediately withdraws from all star bases and military installations in the Arcanist Sector, an ancient and indisputable area of space of significant meaning to the Empire. Furthering their concerns, Dax states that Curzon's contacts have informed her that several Federation colonies near the Klingon border are calling for a preemptive strike, which could become the prelude to war. As Sisko weighs his options, Kira suddenly bursts into a fit of sneezing, a side effect of Bajoran pregnancy. Not wanting to bother Dr. Bashir with her problems, Kira is urged by Captain Sisko, with Dax's support, to pay Odo a visit and lift his spirits. Knowing Odo as she does, Kira visits him in sickbay with a very welcome distraction, her pad detailing the station's daily criminal activity report. And on this list is an item that has indeed perked up his spirits, enough to leave sickbay in his unstable condition. Odo enters the cargo bay and catches an unmistakably purple-haired freighter captain named Rionage in the midst of a Falangian diamond smuggling operation. However, as Odo prepares to arrest her, he suffers another savage attack on his body, rendering his form completely into a liquid state. Act 2. Odo's condition is deteriorating at a rate that deeply concerns Dr. Bashir, to the point where he's even reached out to Dr. Mora, Odo's former mentor and foremost expert on changeling physiology, who is also baffled at Odo's condition. Refusing to be further experimented on by Dr. Mora, and unwilling to travel to Starfleet Command for advanced medical aid, Odo tells Bashir there's only one place he can go to to get the help he needs. He has to return to his homeworld and seek out the Founders. In his office, Captain Sisko briefs Kira and Bashir on his plan to purposefully contact the Founders and their new homeworld without using the cloaking device to mask their presence. Much to Kira's dismay, and because of her delicate situation, confirmed by another sneezing attack, Sisko orders her to stay and prepare Odo for transport. As the command staff prepares the defiant for departure, Garrick has asked permission to join them. Willing to entertain this request, Sisko meets with him in the mess hall. Garrick admits that he wants to meet with the founders to find out what happened to a number of Cardassians who went missing after their fleet attacked the founders months ago. Sisko agrees with the condition that Garrick keeps Odo's mind occupied during the long trip to Dominion space. And according to Garrick, if there's one thing at which Cardassians excel, it is conversation. Kira and Dr. Bashir are escorting Odo arm-in-arm from sickbay when they suddenly run into Quark, who, in his own way, shows concern for Odo by a way of a failed threat, stating that with Odo gone, Quark will have the run of the station. But Odo reassures Quark not to get too confident, as he will be back, and then summons just enough strength to walk down the promenade, proving to all onlookers that he is still the constable of the station.
With a defiant underway for the Gamma Quadrant, and in doing so without the protection of the cloaking device, Cisco, Worf, and O'Brien claim to feel somewhat naked without it, which earns a mischievous grin from Dax. Meanwhile, making good on earning his keep for the mission, Garrick regales Oda with tales of his past, tending the gardens of the Cardassian Embassy on Romulus during a time when many Romulan officials were mysteriously assassinated. And O'Brien tells the rest of the Defiance bridge crew how he feels outnumbered by Kira, Keiko, and Molly, as the Defiance suddenly finds itself surrounded by dozens of Jem'Hadar fighters. Act 3 Before Sisko can secure a transporter arrangement to meet with the Dominion's representative, a female changeling beams directly to the bridge along with three Jem'Hadar, one of which attacks O'Brien after he reaches for his phaser. The female changeling orders the Jem'Hadar to cease all violence and asks Sisko to surrender navigational control so they can proceed without delay to the Founder's new homeworld. Using a scrambling device to nullify any recording of this journey, the Jem'Hadar Amatagan gets the Defiant underway as the female changeling orders to be taken to Odo. In the Defiant sickbay, Garrick nervously anticipates the Founder's arrival. Upon seeing Odo, she offers her hand to link with him and in doing so returns him to a more stable state. Bashir, Garrick, and all other personnel are asked to leave them alone, with Garrick still trying to wedge his way into meeting with the Founder. Now in full privacy, the female changeling and Odo both share in the truth of his predicament. Odo has surmised that they, in some way, unbeknownst to him, have infected him with this destabilizing condition, knowing that he would have no choice but to return to the Great Link to be cured. The Founder, also taking great pity at the sight of him, admits that Odo is to be judged by his people for breaking their most sacred law as he killed another changeling a crime that has never been committed in the history of their race. And if he refuses to join the Great Link and be judged by his people, he will most certainly die. Act 4 The Founder continues with Odo, telling him that he must surrender himself to the will and judgment of his people by joining with the Great Link so that their collective mind will be able to see firsthand why Odo broke their most sacred law. And it is also the only way that he will be cured from this devastating affliction. After their private conversation, Bashir is permitted to tend to Odo's needs as Garrick meets with the founder, who in very sharp, clear, and in no uncertain terms tells Garrick that all of his people who attacked the founder's homeworld were killed, doomed the moment they attacked the founders. In the mess hall, Sisko, Worf, and O'Brien are attempting to devise a plan which would be able to track Odo once he beams down to the founder's homeworld. However, Odo soon joins them, once again in a state of molecular instability, as the Founder's temporary cure is slowly and quickly fading. Odo tells them all that he's decided to face the judgment of his people, as is his code of ethics and honor as a lawman. He is duty-bound to face his crime and allow his people to sentence his fate. On the Defiance Bridge, Sisko was informed that they will soon reach the Founder's homeworld. He tells the female changeling that both he and Dr. Bashir will join them, even though Odo's judgment could take days. They will wait. Upon beaming down to a solitary stone formation, surrounded by an endless sea which is the Great Link, Odo follows the Founder into its depths, turns to his friends, and smiles. Act 5 Still waiting for the outcome of Odo's trial and having lost track of time, Bashir is stopped by Sisko before he skips a stone across the proverbial water. Meanwhile, on the Defiant, Worf has discovered that Garrick has put his past skills to work, 
as he was able to access the launch controls for the quantum torpedo bays, lamenting the fact that he wanted phaser control as well. As he and Worf struggle in the Jeffries tube, Garrett tries to persuade Worf to see his side of the equation, that if they launch every weapon that the Defiant has at the Great Link and destroy the planet, they will destroy the Dominion and secure the safety of the entire Alpha Quadrant. But Worf is steadfast to his orders, and after an exchange of martial arts prowess, Worf subdues Garrick, yet is impressed by his combat skills. For a tailor. Back on the Planet Stone platform, Sisko and Bashir watch as a naked Odo is turned forth from the waves of the Great Link. Bashir scans him immediately and discovers something that he cannot believe. Odo has all of the systems and biological functions of a human. The female founder suddenly appears from the Great Link as well, and confirms what Dr. Bashir has already diagnosed. Odo's punishment is to become what he's wanted for so long, to be a solid, and thusly forever cut off from the Great Link and his people. She orders Sisko to take him home and leave immediately. Back on Deep Space Nine, Odo is being fitted for a uniform in Garrick's tailor shop, experiencing sensations that he's never felt before, like the itchiness and tightness of his new uniform, and more specifically, hunger. Of course, now that he is in full command of his office as constable, he is ready to take Garrick to prison for the crimes of being a saboteur during the mission, but is however distracted, even more so than before, as Shalan Arroya returns for that dinner date. As Odo casually meets with Captain Sisko, making his rounds on the promenade, they are both shocked to see the face of High Chancellor Galron broadcast on all of the monitors around the station, declaring that the Klingon Empire is in fact ready to reclaim the Arcanus Sector, even if it means war. Suddenly, Odo is struck with the realization that he has seen Galron when he was merged with his people in the Great Link, a secret that they were trying to hide from him, a secret that Odo shares with Sisko and his friends. Chancellor Galron is a changeling. The end. Dun, dun, dun. Stay tuned. Three months from now, we'll have the exciting follow-up <laughs> yeah hey th- there was a lot in there covered it well good job thank you yeah see not not nearly as bad as uh, as you thought it would be you know you thought we'd be here another an, an extra hour but uh well this me. is three five nine we got to reach that time slot exactly as yeah we did before. <laughs> yikes yeah um well, a lot of fun stuff kind of to point out here. Um, I, I will just point out, like, from a very personal point of view, uh, I relate so much to Odo in the teaser segment where uh, Garrick has brought him into his tailor shop and, and he's trying, trying to do this little matchup with the Bajoran woman. And, and it basically boils down to this, like, hey, would you like to go out sometime? And Odo's like, I completely do not understand what I'm supposed to do now. That, I could have written that whole scene. Um, so well done, Ira. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Robert. Yes. You know, writer, they say that write what you know. Yeah. So I have to believe that one or both of them has had this happen to them before, which is like, eh, let's stick that in there. A little bit of catharsis, maybe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It plays very real. Yeah. And, so, uh, you know, Shalana Roya, very easy to be distracted. Yes. Very. Yes. I mean, I was like, ooh, be still my stone cold heart. <laughs> right. <laughs> But uh, I like the fact that you have Garrick is now like racking up his list of accolades. Now he has spy, mm-hmm. you know, he has saboteur, right. he has gardener, oh yeah, tailor, and now matchmaker. Yeah, yeah, you just he, he can do anything. Yeah, with the bug eyes. Yes, yes, with his giant bug eyes. Um, 
Oh, a, a little bit in there. The, the the countdown, like the sneezes, like that's funny enough that that just happens to be a physiological trait for Bajorans who are pregnant. But I thought it was even funnier that they did the little countdown, the little bet, like, you know, I think it'll be five. I think it'll be eight. I think it'll be ten. Ten. Just, yeah, the deadpan <laughs> delivery. Worf, he is the master of the one-liner still. Um, and then followed within that same scene with uh, Captain Westax's last host's argumentative. It's this one. I mean, just perfectly played, perfectly done. I mean, I, I do like Michael Dorn as an actor, and I think he's brilliant with the stuff that he's given. But I'll tell you, Worf is on point mm-hmm. when he's throwing shade and casting one-liners at people. Yeah. He is so good at that because it's just bam, like it's just dropped. I, I think there's, you know, for the, uh, I, I won't call it problems, but for, for the differences that I experience with DS9 that, that sometimes our listeners will take exception to my taking exception, this is one of those places where I really have to give them the credit. Um, there is an ease with the writing, and I'll get into that in the wrap-up as well. Um, but I think there's also an ease that we've settled into with the characters and just like allowing the directors a little more freedom and a little more play with scenes like this on on the original series you had a lot of kind of over the top dramatic scenes and and of course you're going to have that when you have actors like Chatner and Nimoy and D Kelly you know playing it to the hilt um TNG many times seem to take it the other way where you have like a a, a little more stiff uh, like a very formalized style of acting. And, and that's partly in relation to the directors, you know, where they're putting these actors, how they're having the actors deliver those lines. But in DS9, we've kind of found this happy medium where we have very dramatic moments, but we also have moments of levity like this, where you just feel like you've relaxed into the scene and the truth of the characters. So the the jokes work. Mm-hmm. And it's almost as if you are like on the Defiant itself or in that room and you're just in one of the swivel chairs and just kind of swivel around and say, hey, what are these people doing? Mm-hmm. Right. It's very natural. Their, their relationships now are feeling very natural. And speaking of natural, it's very difficult to pull off a laugh or a sneeze at command. Yes. And Nana was beyond... Cute. Yes. I, I don't want to say that disparagingly because I can't find another word than that, but she was so cute at sneezing. Yeah. And so good at it. It's great. <laughs> it, it's great. All of that stuff works. I thought I'd get really annoyed by it, but it, it really works. Oh, and, and my gosh, what a sweet moment. Kira handing Odo the criminal activities report. It, mm-hmm. it just, it, it's something about that spoke to me. It's like a parent bringing a comic book to a sick child. Because mm-hmm. I, I've experienced that where, you know, home from school, sick, mom goes to the grocery store, but comes back with like a movie magazine or a comic book or something like that. It was great. And you could tell like this is the kind of thing that would make his day even more so than that he's got a a, a crime to go bust. <laughs> but, right. you know, it was a, it was a nice moment. But it also speaks to. Was it? Uh, it wasn't the Shakar episode, but it was the episode where I think the first minister comes. Uh, was it? It wasn't Shakar, or was it Shakar? I don't remember. But it's, it basically, it's when he sets up his office and rotates the coffee mug so that the handle's pointing to her. Oh, right. Yeah. And he has everything just so perfect because she knows exactly what she likes, how she likes it, the co- the temperature of a Rakdagino. 
But now she does kind of like the opposite. You know, she, she flips it around on him. And instead of bringing him any type of distraction, yeah. she brings him the one thing he knows, she knows that will cheer him up, and that's the crime report. Right. <laughs> right. I, I think it. that was just so, so delicately well done. It was great. And, and when he goes to make that bust, I, I have to say that now whenever I see Rionage, I keep seeing the commander from Spaceballs under the makeup. Like the makeup <laughs> very much covers her and you have the purple hair and I can only think of UFO with that. But I see right. those eyes and I'm like, that's the commander uh, Zircon from Spaceballs. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that I know that it's, it's uh, Odo's compelled to do because he is a lawman and he upholds the code of justice and, and making sure that the station is safe. But even to the detriment of his health, you know, and in, in some ways inspired by the, the, the report that Kira gave him, I mean, he would have to know that at some point in time during the bust that something would happen to him because, you know, it's, this is something that's never happened to him before, this molecular instability. Right. So, you know? Yeah. Just rely a little bit on your deputies, okay? You can do that. Yeah. Well, uh, in the, the great long list of uh, terrific Garrick scenes, <laughs> the bit between him and Cisco. if there's one thing Cardassians excel at, it's conversation. That was oh. a terrific bit. Just him already at the prospect here cooking up these lies and fabulous stories he's going to tell. I think he has all of his answers already mapped out before he starts a conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, he has you know, to. It, it's like his whole life is kind of choose your own adventure. Right. If you respond this way, turn to page 46. If you turn this way, turn back to page 32. Right? That's just how I think his brain works, which is why I think he's always kind of staring at people with bug eyes. You know, even though you're just answering kind of like, you know, what do you want for dinner? What do you mean? Right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Fantastic scene, another great moment with Quark doing his little send-off to Odo. They, they've really mastered being able to uh, uh, show and not tell with these characters. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like saying it's the unspoken emotion, that unspoken connection that, that people, even if they're not friend-friends, they just have this deep connection of, I need you in my life so my life has meaning, my life has purpose. Without you being there, everything's just going to kind of like unravel. So when Wark says, you know, you better come back or else, Armin and Renee, I think, now have this almost um, shorthand with the way that they respond to each other where you don't really have to say anything. It's just the way that you either look at the character or position your body with a head nod or a tilt. Mm-hmm. It's just so perfectly done because it's still very manually and masculine their way that they're sharing their emotions, but at the same time, very genuine and almost very tender when you're taking a look at what's being said or not being said in, in this case. Yeah, absolutely. Another very moving scene, you know, uh, uh, following that moment with Odo is, uh, or sorry, that moment with the Quark is Odo walking through the promenade. Um, and I was very interested to read later in uh, Terry Erdman's book that uh, they had in mind the scene from Bridge Over the River Kwai with Alec Gunness as Nicholson walking past his troops. And, of course, they were POWs uh, uh, after going through this incredible physical ordeal 
but to still walk through with some dignity and some strength. And they, they really kind of mapped that scene uh, from that movie for this. So uh, well done. If you haven't seen that movie, it's terrific. And, and Alec Guinness, yes, other than being Obi-Wan Kenobi, <laughs> really known for um, his his mastery of physicality on screen. He, he could really transform himself in, in great ways. Oh, and I mentioned a one-liner earlier. My other favorite one-liner so there we are on the bridge of the Defiant, and Miles is talking about Keiko and Kira getting quiet when he walked into the room, and then Worf just says, they did not want you to hear what they were saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just so cluelessly perfect. Just, mm-hmm. ah, I, I love it. Him calling out the obvious, perfect, perfect. Yeah, he spares no one's feelings, really. No, no, right. yeah. It's like, of course, of course. <laughs> so here's a here's something that kind of bugged me a little bit just because it's tech. And when you're dealing with tech from an alien species, especially a species uh, that you're going to go to war with or almost are at war with. So uh, Amatakan, mm-hmm. did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Amatakan? He is the navigator to go to the Dominion's new home world, and he is given access to Dax's navigational panel. But he puts on this scrambler device, which is just a scrambler device, or could it be something else? I mean, at the same time, he could be downloading the schematics of the Defiant, their shield frequencies, the security of the Federation, anything that's in the Defiance, you know, he could do it. He could do it, you know, uh, without their sensors being tipped off. Totally. Who knows? Totally. And when that scene happened, I was like, wait, wait, what does he do? It looks like he's just walking around with a remote control in his pocket. Like, oh, wait, I don't want to sit on this. You know, and he yeah. puts that thing up there. Like, yeah, you have no idea. It scrambles the screen so they can't see what's happening. You have no idea at all. What else is it scrambling? I know. Right? Yeah. So th- I thought that they gave that particular Jem'Hadar a little bit of leeway when it came to their most advanced ship. Yes. That's just a, a thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think that was something that was like a really brilliantly uh, just small scene, small executed scene. And I think that this is Ira's, uh, maybe his uh, sense of humor, mm-hmm. is that Bashir is about to skip off a stone <laughs> off of the Great yes. Lynx fluid. And he's literally, like, attacking somebody with a rock. Yes. yes. Without even knowing it. He's like, oh. And Cisco's like, hey, 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 hey. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to start an interstellar war here. Okay? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That, that was <laughs> that played was great. I mean, I'm glad that you called that one out. Yeah. Um, one of the things also in, in this entire episode is Renee being in full command of every single nuance of his acting ability, including how... He's actually reacting to things like the tightness and itchiness of his uniform. That's mm. just, mm-hmm. that was perfect because it's something that you would never give a second thought to because he is the uniform. He is the food that he eats. He is, you know, everything. He is the illusion of that person. Right. But now he has to deal with like, you know, it'll be funny when he reaches for like uh, his, his phaser and all of a sudden it's like, oh, my arm, my, my sleeve is too tight. I can't reach backwards. Or <laughs> exactly. he's going to like, you know, launch his arm and try and capture somebody and nothing happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, was, interesting that, to see. That, that was a perfect way to illustrate his discomfort there. And hey, uh, on a similar note, in that same scene, when Garrick points out to the newly human Odo, think of all the wonderful food you'll get to enjoy for the first time. And yes, Garrick, on this, you and I, we so reach. <laughs> 
memo from Odo to the Great Link. That's not what I meant when I asked if you could do me a solid. Now let's dive in to find out what it all means. We'll link up again with Broken Link in a moment, but first, a word from ExpressVPN, giving you back your internet privacy. Hey, you know, as we talk about ExpressVPN from time to time on this show, uh, it's important to remember and to point out that um, I'm constantly using ExpressVPN. I mean, that that is sort of the, the great thing about this, is that for me, it's easy to set up, it's easy to use, and I spend so much time online now, uh, particularly from home, connecting, connecting with people on, well, on uh, Zoom calls or other ways to communicate. And um, I'm very conscious and very aware of the fact that I'm sending and receiving so much more data now from home than I ever have before. Paying bills, doing financial transactions, all of that, which I want to be safe and secure. So as I'm talking to you now, I have the ExpressVPN panel up on my computer. And to me, the greatest part of it is that it is simple and straightforward. The button that says connected, which I can easily click and disconnect. But why would I when I want all of my online activity to be safe and secure? I can make simple changes like changing location. If I want my region to be different, that's kind of a nice benefit of ExpressVPN as well. But the thing that I love is that it is fast. My worry about using uh, any sort of a VPN at all before was it would affect my speeds. But no, I'm able to upload and download, stream movies, uh, upload the shows that we produce, uh, run audio and video calls, literally do everything that I normally do on the computer through ExpressVPN and not give it a second thought. So protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So wherever I'm working, whatever I'm doing, ExpressVPN protects my connections and its speeds that impress me every time. Now, John, there's this old saying in Hollywood that the best special effects is the one that you never see. And that's how I feel about ExpressVPN because it is on my phone constantly. It's always on and I don't even know it's there. But I know it's working because there's the, the notification, you know, on the upper corner of my phone. And I know that if anything goes wrong, I know the use the app and I know that it's a very easy connection, but I've never done it. I've never had to disconnect because it's always consistently on. And I think that's it's very uh, satisfying to know and that your data is safe and secure with the consistency of their product. So protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash mission log for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. And a big thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. All right, I don't want to start the discussion uh, with, with a joke, uh, but I will say that changelings just absolutely twist themselves into knots and pretzels. Metaphorically, metaphorically, although they could literally do that as well, uh, with, with their whole sort of, I, I, I'm trying to find the right words to describe it. It's sort of this in-group, out-group philosophy that they have. And we did explore that a little bit before in DS9, uh, where the, the female changeling, the Salome Jen's character, explains that 
they they are so hyper protective of themselves because they feel like they're an easy target, but they've taken it to this extreme of being uh, really vicious and antagonistic and creating these systems around them to take down their perceived enemies. They will punish or destroy anyone or anything around them that doesn't fit their needs. Yet they have this incredibly rigid rule about changeling on changeling violence. Um, it's interesting just to think from sort of uh, an evolutionary uh, step here that they could have made it as far as they have with no disagreement ever escalating that far. Because, I mean, you introduce Odo's experience, Odo's background into this. He, he's sent away as, as this sort of clean slate to go live among the solids in his particular area, essentially as a way for the changelings to learn. Um, and his experiences in a very short period of time, because remember, Odo is quite young, at least in his experience among the solids, um, actually lead him to sympathize with and form bonds with the humans and Bajorans and a little bit with the Cardassians around him um, that actually led him to the point of killing another changeling. So, so it is interesting to me that they would, um, that they would be able to make it this far uh, without experiencing something that intense with uh, a changeling killing another changeling or violently acting out against another changeling. There have to have been some differences, uh, uh, some lack of agreement at some point. But I, I feel like they, they have really overreacted to so much mm -hmm. of, uh, uh, of what's going on. I think a lot of what's happening in some of these characters that we've seen, especially the non-Federation characters, and, and is specifically with Odo, is that Odo is kind of like the analog of the difficult or independent spirited child. You know, mm. you, you mm -hmm. believe that this child, you have raised this child with a certain doctrine, you have raised this child with a certain set of rules and uh, a strict code of discipline, something that the, so they would not bring shame or any type of controversy to the family. Then all of a sudden this child acts out and the family's name is kind of like run through the rumor mill or the mud or small town gossip. But that's, that's what children do if they, if they want to grow for themselves, or if they are part of an environment that exposes them to so many different uh, stimuli, external forces, because mm -hmm. why wouldn't I act out this way to save my friends from someone who means to do them harm? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? So it's interesting, right, that uh, on some level, the changelings have to understand that that they are incomplete by extension, but Odo or, or whomever they had chosen to go out there into the cosmos, that they are incomplete without having this experience, without meeting other species and, and interacting with them and, and even becoming like them in some way. Like they're driven to do that, but 
then if it just goes a little bit beyond what their expectation is, they feel like they get to execute this incredible punishment because it's their their right to do so. Um, it, I mean, it's, it, it's uh, I'm sorry, John, but it's, no, it's no, very no. much akin to like uh, these. This is my house. These are mm. my rules. And if you think you know better, you can leave. Because that's what you want, isn't it? That's what you want. You think you're smarter. You think you're better. You think you can do this. You think you can do that. Well, if you don't have any need for me anymore, you can just leave. But they made Odo go out to do this. You know, they, 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 from, from the beginning, they said like, oh, yeah, well, we, we, we send out a changeling every now and then here and there to go out into the cosmos and, and experience things and, and meet others. And, and it helps to feed our need for information. But it's like, okay, well, well, by doing this, you also have to sort of accept that there are consequences to that. You have to accept that there are others who are not like you and there are influences and ideas that may not fit with your very rigid, narrow definition of what you should be. So if that's the way it's going to be, don't ever let the kid leave the house. Mm. No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, Now, it's interesting that that you would phrase it like that as like a kid because – a series of notes that I took on this, uh, the first one that I said is, in all these ways that we are looking at the Odo character, the first one was Odo the Adolescent. And we've seen this play out in a few different ways with him on DS9, but the way that they explore it is by allowing us to see him navigate his feelings and and his emotions that are they're raw because they're new and they're intense and he is like this adolescent who as soon as he he feels that first feeling of love such as it is that he's defining it or or understands it as soon as it doesn't play out the way he wants well he he gets angry and despondent and upset and it, you know all these things come out of him um then kind of the flip side of that is Odo, this self-repressed character, because all these emotions are floating around. They're all swirling. And his reaction when they get too intense, when he's not destroying his quarters, as we saw him do, but he denies, he represses, he deflects his emotions. Like that scene with, uh, with Garrick. I mean, here's, here's Garrick showing enough insight into Odo beyond what Odo will admit by trying to play matchmaker here. Hey, here's this woman. Maybe I know that she's got her eye on you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be the good friend and try to set this up. And Odo, uh, until pushed very hard by Garrick, it it takes him that long to actually say, like, "Uh, she's attractive. Okay, <laughs> you know, so he's just pushing down every feeling that he's got there. But then the other thing that's interesting here is in this tradition of Star Trek characters who are looking for humanity or or experiencing humanity, Spock, Data. Now we've got Odo, and now we've got Odo who literally becomes human at the end. Uh, but he's still dealing with, like I said, these kind of adolescent emotions and, and, and trying to navigate that, trying to figure out who he actually is and what his relationship is with with these other characters. Um, I thought about Superman. I thought about Superman losing his powers in Superman 2. Now, even though that was voluntary, that, that was a decision that he made, um, 
but it, it sort of gets at this idea of, of identity being based partly on how you interact with the world. You know, Odo, up until this point, and, and that is sort of the cliffhanger now going, you know, through the end of the season or the, the season break and into the next episode, Odo has his powers taken away from him, but it's not just, it's not just I'm a person who has powers. That is the definition of his identity. That is what makes him who he is. And now he's got to try on a whole new experience, a whole new way of interacting with his world. I thought it was a great way in that Trek tradition to say, okay, we'll take the alien who is a mirror reflection of us, a way for us to look at an aspect of humanity, but completely strip away their alienness. So now they have to walk in a human shoes, literally, for some time. I have a question for you. I have mm -hmm. a question for the listeners out there, so you can chime in either on social media or email. When Odo was reverted into human form, solid form, we're not necessarily saying he's human, but he was turned into his human solid form. Sure. It doesn't take away his intelligence. So, no. so what makes him the better lawman, the lawman that everyone can rely on to get the job done? Being able to do that in, with his powers or now, is he going to be even more uh, ruthless with trying to take down criminals without the use of his powers, which could have taken down criminals in a less violent way. Because now he has to rely on traditional, uh, I guess, law enforcement tactics, weapons, yeah. martial arts, things of that nature, where he could have just, you know, done the changeling thing and, you know, crack a whip at somebody with his changeling form, not really hurt them. But now right. he has to use what everyone else uses. So will he lose any type of authority over his own people because he doesn't have a superpower anymore. The power that these guys are like, you know what? I don't really have to be as good as my job or at my job because I have Odo backing me up. And if things go sideways, he can just <laughs> do the changeling thing. He'll turn into a rat. He'll sneak in. He'll listen right. to what they're saying. Yeah. It's like Superman yeah. in the diner. He couldn't beat that trucker up because he wasn't Superman anymore. He was right. just a guy. Right. Yeah. I... Uh, but but here's the thing. It, it's like going back to this changeling idea of, okay, we take one of our own, we hide them among this species that we're curious about, and, and they sort of go live among them and figure out what they're like. You know, Well, that has been Odo's total experience up until now. And sometimes doing a great job at that, sometimes learning a lesson along the way, like, oh, wait, I, I am the sum of my experiences. I am the sum of the relationships that I have. I'm not this thing that is separate from that. Now he's basically being forced to not just rationalize it and experience it and live among it, but to actually be that thing. Not, not just pass for one, but to actually be one of those humanoids. Um, it's, you know, it might be a little too uh, anthropocentric to look at it that way, but it, it, it's, sort of, it's sort of a gift in a way that this mm -hmm. fulfills that part of the mission. The, this might in some way allow him to be exactly what it is that he has been trying to be up until this point. 
And and yeah, to your point, you know, he, he hasn't been trying to be human, but he's been trying to navigate that and doing it with some, look, he, he's the gruff cop, but he has been learning and doing it with some sensitivity and with some true care and compassion for the people around him. Not that he would ever admit it, just like he did with Quark when leaving, you know, but but he, he's got that in him. Something that's like more of a sidebar concern of mine when you take away a superhero's power and then everybody knows that your power mm-hmm. has been taken away, the escalation that happens when you know that that person can no longer do the things that they have done, that special ability that they have allows the criminal elements or allows the elements that Odo, by just the sheer intimidation of who he was, uh, allows that to kind of start um, manifesting itself in certain ways. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like it started with um, the smuggler. You know, Odo tried to take her down and he turned into a puddle and she even kind of sympathized with him. He's like, I don't want that for him. But I'm going to take these gems anyway. I'd say she sympathized until she was like, time to go. (laughs) Right. So, you know, when when you realize that the reason why Odo was so intimidating and the reason why he probably was able to keep that position on Deep Space Nine is because he had the one thing and such a powerful ability. Such a powerful ability. I mean, to the point where now the, uh, the changelings are having the... Basically, the Federation, the Cardassians, the Klingons are running ragged trying to figure out who's infiltrated who to the point where father and son, you know, all the way back when when Benjamin and his father were kind of at each other's throats, not being able to trust each other. So without that ability, who is he? Yeah. Or what is he? Is he effective anymore? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that plays right. out. Right. Well, and, and that's why I'm so fascinated by it and, and just sort of interested in having this kind of freeform discussion about it. And obviously we'll, we'll get into it in the next episode and the ones beyond it as well, which is that Star Trek in this humanistic tradition, go, you know, I mentioned Spock, go back to Spock. Spock wasn't himself just fighting the human half or fighting the Vulcan half. He became himself after he went through the V'ger experience and realized like, wait a minute, what, what's important here is the life that I carve out for myself and the relationships that I have with the people around me. That's it. That's the secret. And that's who I need to be. Mm-hmm. So will Odo go through a similar revelation? Well, I, I guess we'll find out. Well, that kind of brings me to um, one of the discussion points that I wanted to bring up, and that's, is it really kind of a, a penalty of death becoming this solid and becoming severed from the Great Link? I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of like an interesting study on this full circle for Odo. It's, he wanted to be, you know, he wanted to understand in the experience of being human and now he's been given this ability to be human or has been transformed into being human. But is that really a curse for him or is it a blessing for him? Because mm. the founders think that it is literally, you know, the death sentence. You are now a solid. You don't have the ability that we have. You're cut off from the Great Link. How is that really any different than the Odo that we've known before? Right. I mean, uh, up until right. now, Odo has been at, at every turn. He has said, yeah, I have this opportunity to go back to the Great Link. I don't want to go back. 
and and I disagree with what the other changelings, the quote unquote founders, are up to. That's wrong. I've found my moral uh, uh, code and and my ethics and and the relationships that I care about here, not there. Exactly, and it's it's going to be a challenge for him to adapt, but. He's observed humans to the point where he's become this great, you know, this, uh, the student of the human condition, how people behave, how they interact with each other. So now he can really dive into what it is to be hungry, how food is delicious, how romance is, is pleasurable, uh, both in kind of like the, the connecting and in the physical way. Uh, everything is in his grasp right now. It's, it's never going to be like a study or an observation. He can actually go ahead and experience that. So what's the cost, really? You know, he yes, of course, he's been severed from his people, but he's never really been part of his people. Right? Right. right. That's, that's the thing that, that this death penalty doesn't really work for me in, in, in a way, because he knows that the reason why he killed that changeling is because he cared about the people that he served with and has, have come to trust and love more than that one changeling that he's never met that only wanted to do violence to the people that he cared about. So who did he choose? At, at the moment that it needed to be made, who did he choose? He chose the people that he cared about. That's his family. And yeah. now he has the opportunity to really be a part of that family. And, and that moment, uh, honestly, should have been morally unambiguous to anybody. Even, even a race as advanced as the founders are, the changelings are. Yeah, you send somebody in to uh, carry out sabotage, carry out a mission where you are killing others, and you don't expect that somebody would step in and try to kill that person that you sent to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that they are not as advanced as they think they are. They're just playing this loyalty card to say like, oh, well, we're, we're just 100% loyal to each other. We would never kill one another no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that is a a morally, ethically, very tenuous position to be in. Can't help but break that. They're almost, in a way, a very similar dynamic to the Borg, if you think about it. Mm. They are a collective. Mm-hmm. When they're all joined together, they are of a collective thought. And independent thinking is dangerous to the point where you're excommunicated or cut off from that collective because you do not believe in the whole, you are now an individual. And individuality to the Borg is a death sentence, very much like certain characters that we cannot talk about right now in the timeline have experienced. <laughs> right. 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 Oh, I have an affair to bring up for you, John. Oh, a do new you? Affair. I do. Do you? I don't know how you feel about this, and this might be a stretch, but it's just something that okay. kind of struck me as an affair to bring up. I call it the Gethsemane Affair. Oh, okay. So when Bashir and Sisko beam down to the planet and stay on that rock outcropping and choose to do so no matter how long it took, that that felt very spiritually to when Jesus and his apostles went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he separated himself so that he can await his trial, await his judgment at the hands of the Romans and yes. his apostles were going to wait with him no matter the cost. And I know that this is kind of a stretch, but I know the apostles, they kind of, they, they slept and they weren't there to be with him in, in, in conscious thought. 
Like it's kind of like Bashir kind of drifting away too and almost throwing a rock into the, yeah. <laughs> into the sea. <laughs> so yes, I am stretching a little bit, but that's just the way I felt. I felt that no matter what, Bashir and Cisco, if everyone could have beamed down to that rock outcropping to await Odo's fate, I think they would have. It's I, just I, that there's only so much real estate to stand on. I think that is an excellent comparison to make. I think that's right. I have uh, no problem with that at all. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so another successful affair to remember. <laughs> right now you're taking it too far. <laughs> it's too bad Odo had to surrender to the Great Link. If only there was a smaller group of lower-ranked changelings known as the Just Sort of Okay Link. So now, John, the end is near, and we face our final wrap-up. My friend, (laughs) I will say it clear, I'm not exactly sure how this is going to shape up. So, this is the final wrap-up of Season 4, the finale. We made it. We made it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a this is a hard one. At least it was a hard one for me. This was a hard one to wrap up, but I'd love Hmm. to... uh, let you uh, share your thoughts and your morals and meanings and messages that you were able to mine from this episode and, and see where we land. Sure. So I'll uh, talk about some positives here first. Uh, this episode has some of the best dialogue of the entire series so far. So like I was mentioning in an earlier segment of our show, the humor here just lands. It is Ira and Robert at their best where they found the right way to work in the humor without just saying, time to squeeze in a joke. They're letting the characters, letting the strengths of the characters relax a little and be humorous, not just force a joke because somebody was happy with the line that they wrote. Um, So that stuff just works great. Um, And what we have here is a wonderful character drama. We have this character analysis of Odo in this this trial that he's going through, literal and metaphorical, um, to really get at who he is and and what his values are, what's important to him. So I think all of that is really strong. A big weakness here is I do not buy at all the scene between Garrick and Worf. It, It is a sloppy resolution cisco if he cares about anything he would have found a way by now to get rid of garrick um we we have to address this i mean it it was reckless for cisco to let him on board in the first place but look i get it for the storytelling all right we we got to do something with him but i'm sorry six months confinement that's (laughs) that that makes no sense that that this actually would have been a fascinating thing to make part of an A plot and actually explore this over time with Garrick, but to sneak him on board and just make this a little B plot thing where you literally just cut to a scene of him in a Jeffrey's tube, the fight, good fight. It was a decent fight, uh, but then you just wrap it up. Like he's back in his tailor shop. All right, time to go to jail now. No, I, I, I thought that was incredibly sloppy. Um, and, and it hurts the, 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 the strengths of this episode overall. Um, but look, like you, Norman, I love Garrick. 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm hoping that they'll have uh, a way to justify what happened here as we go to the next several episodes. But my goodness, that that really hurt the episode for me. Um, I'm going to give it a pass. So I'm going to say that it holds up just because all of that rests on the writing and on the strength of uh, René Aubergenois. He he just he, he has found a way to play this character who at every turn tells you how tough he is, how insensitive he is, how resentful he is of of what's around him, and yet has this empathetic, compassionate core that has this huge heart beating underneath. He he has found a beautiful way to play that. And when we get to focus on those aspects of him, like we do in this episode, um, I, I think it makes for strong DS9 storytelling. So uh, for me, it, it does hold up quite well. And now, uh, Norman, I will uh, hand it to you to uh, to shock us all. Before I do that, though, I do have one question, and it's kind of one of those, again, sidebar type of uh, issues that I have with, say, Garrick's, uh, his upcoming six-month incarceration. Right. Who's going to do all the tailoring? We, uh, we have to go back to replicators now for clothes? What are we, barbarians? It would be so awesome to have a bunch of people walking around the promenade with ill-fitting wear, just because... And Garrick's like, see, I told yeah. you, I told you what would happen, and you didn't listen to me. He's born with the seat of his pants worn out. Right, I mean, and Quark with, like, meter-long, too-long pants, and <laughs> it would be a total disaster. Lapels going everywhere. Ugh. Ugh. So, as I have said before in many of my wrap-ups, that is this episode well-acted. As you said, John, I agree uh, Rene is just on point in this episode. He's so good and so in tune with his character, as are everybody with their characters in this ser- in this season. <clears throat> is it well produced? Absolutely. The makeup is fantastic. The way that the effects of his destabilization are fantastic. All of those on paper are fantastic. And there's Garrick. Uh, Andrew Robinson, for me, makes this episode as enjoyable for me as it is. But I'm going to judge this episode on how I feel about the importance of a season finale. This isn't just an episode. This is a season mm-hmm. finale. And now I've actually had the, the privilege of watching an entire season of Deep Space Nine and in Star Trek, analyzing it the way that we do on Mission Log. I have not watched a series of television with this much detail paying this much detail as never before. So for me, a season finale is everything. It is the wrap-up of 26 weeks of epic, sometimes episodic, sometimes serialized storytelling. And that's where this episode does not hold up for me. Hmm. Because a season finale, in my opinion, should capitalize on the overall narrative beats of the entire season. Why did we not get an appearance by Dukat and Zial in the finale? They were a huge part of the narrative of this season, especially where Kira was concerned. Sure. And they had great character development, more so than 
uh, more or different guest stars like throughout the course of this season. I really felt that both of them in some way should have been in the season finale if it wasn't this story. So I wanted something special out of this story. And it was a story that as good as it is, I could have seen this as not the season finale. Interesting. So um, I, I agree with, well, I mean, it's your opinion. It's not, (laughs) not whether I, I, you know, your opinion is wrong. No, Um, I, I, I I understand where you're coming from, and and it's interesting to me that your uh, your sort of final judgment on this episode, holding up or not, is within that context of where it falls in DS9 and what you know what loose threads are sort of not explored, and I I I get all that, I, I respect that. I think I I come down on a different place though, and to me, the cliffhanger the 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 sort of end moment that grabbed my attention was not about Gowron it was not about the Cardassians it was not about it was purely about Odo and it was whoa they they took away they changed him physically into something that he has never been before something that he is not who will he be the next time we get to see him and how will that affect him? So that now I, I think back to, you know, the late nineties, is that enough to get me through a season break? Is it enough to get me through the three and a half, nearly four months before the next episode comes on? I don't know. I don't know. I, I get it that it's not a cliffhanger in that respect. It, it's not, the best of both worlds <laughs> you know not many uh, are to, <laughs> no, 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 to, to hold our attention like that but um i think i was so wrapped up in that part of the story that i didn't even think about the other parts that you're describing well i let me um put it in the context of where i feel it was more successfully done and i'm not going to go to a different mm-hmm. series i'm not going to go to like say best of both worlds uh, part, mm-hmm. part one, which is one of the cliffhangers of cliffhangers. You know, it is, uh, it course. is in a, okay. it's in a class it changed TV all by yeah. itself. Yeah. But I'm going all the way back to the adversary. I mm. really, really like the way that that ended because you felt that, uh, and, and to, to kind of bookend it with, with Odo saying that, you know, Galron's a changeling, but the way they handled it in the adversary is, is when you know when when Odo killed his his brethren, he's like you know they're we're everywhere, mm-hmm. and that leads right. you know, that kind of like leads your mind uh, in the cliffhanger sense of okay now what does that mean? It means that I can I can project my uh, my uh, uh, my uh, uh, extrapolate different threads and project different ideas on what does that mean. You know, there's not a concrete way for me to go. You know, I don't know what the right answer is going to be. I don't know how it's going to wrap up. And it just leaves me hanging on a cliff, if you will. See, that, that's interesting because I, I felt the opposite about the adversary. To me, it felt a little too kind of paint by numbers where you, you've got the changeling. He's taking different forms. So you got to find him. You got to kill him or, or do whatever. Being left, it was an interesting tease to be left with that we're everywhere. But now in this one, oh, wait, there's somebody I know. 
There's Gowron, who we've seen up until now in all these different places, uh, uh, pulling strings politically. So now it has stakes for the political intrigue that we've had up until now. It, it's so, it, it's interesting. It, it's very interesting to me that, that we have different takes on these two, end of season three, end of season four. Um, but let us get into morals, meanings, messages. Let, let's see where we landed on that. I, I think we might land in a different place on this too, because honestly, I I don't really see this as a heavy moral episode. Um, to me, the strength of this episode is that it is a character piece. It's a very good character piece because we get to go so deep with Odo. Um, we set up more explanation, or I'm sorry, we set up more exploration of who he is. So that that's really, that is the focus, that is the purpose of this episode. Uh, but the other thing here, um, genocide, still bad. Uh, if we are going to take anything from that uh, Garrick plot line, genocide, still bad. For anybody in the cheap seats, uh, uh, this is something that Star Trek does indeed repeat every now and then, so I'll do it for you as well. Genocide, still bad. Um, what else? Yeah, that's a good far? one. Genocide, never hey, good. You know, I, like I said, they, they touch on that every now and then. You, you go you, you go talk to like a Kevin Uxbridge, um, you, you even uh, totally jump the timeline and you see what the Klingons were doing 100 years ago. Uh, you know, just, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> but, well, I mean, my, my message kind of dovetails into what I was talking about before when it comes to this episode not being a, a season finale-ish episode. But it doesn't mean that it's not without a great moral or a great meaning mm-hmm. or, or great, uh, a great introspective study of a character. But I find this episode to be a great companion piece to body parts. Because... Mm-hmm. So take a look at it this way. The last two episodes of season four, which has been heavily focused on uh, the Klingons' involvement and their machinations and the Cardassians, the Maquis, but the last two episodes have to deal with Quark and Odo, which I find endearing because I love Quark and Odo. So in, in body parts, Odo learns through a series of events that the greatest value in his life is his family, the people that he has created reputations and relationships with on the station. And very much like Odo in this story, this story is about who your family truly is and searching for a family that may never be. So like Quark in Body Parts, Odo doesn't see what's right in front of him, uh, literally like Shalan Arroyo, like literally like mm-hmm. right in front of him, or mm-hmm. he doesn't see right up until the moment where they actually do it. He doesn't see how his family is figuratively right in front of them, putting themselves in harm's way and making sacrifices that very well could end their careers, albeit they don't really do it and execute it in the dramatic form, say, like Kirk and, and Scotty and Sulu and Chekhov and Uhura all did putting their careers on the line to steal a starship to go save Spock. Right. right? So think about it this way. Cisco creates an unsanctioned mission into the Gamma Quadrant to reach the Dominion using the, the Federation's most advanced starship because dot, 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 fill in the blanks, because he wants yeah. to save Odo. 
But this is not sanctioned by Starfleet. Starfleet has not given him permission to go into that quadrant and to engage the Dominion, right? So they're not even there to gain intelligence on the Dominion or even gain intelligence on what Gowron's doing. They're there solely because they care for Odo. They could be busted if they really really want to bring him up on charges. A Badmiral can say, hey, you know what? Uh, You... Like violated X amount of codes of the Starfleet Federation, blah blah blah, and uh, we're gonna like drum you down, but they don't. Oh, that's all we were missing was a scene where you know they they get a radio communication. They're like, oh, the communications aren't coming through. We didn't hear what you said, right? And then they're through the wormhole. Yeah, exactly. But that's like Mm -hmm. in the reality of what they're doing. They did the exact same thing. You know, Kirk and Company did to save Spock. They went on an illegal mission, or I should say, an unsanctioned mission to save their friend. So. Imagine this. If they were ordered to return the Defiant to Federation space and choose to save Odo, finding the Dominion, what would they have done? Of course they would have saved Odo. Mm. That's their Mm -hmm. friend. That's the point Mm -hmm. of this story. And that is what true family does. And not excommunicate the one person that they wanted to bring into the fold just because they broke a rule. Yeah. That's what I came away with from this story. Beautifully said. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. Enjoy all the great Roddenberry podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com, where you'll find Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, Your Daily Star Trek News, and Shabam. Shabam! And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, jumping into Season 5 with Apocalypse Rising. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Relax everybody. I fixed the link. Hey, my face was a broken JPEG. I had to do something. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.